Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 78. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And today, is it possible for day traders to make money? Well, going to have some thoughts and some comments around a recent paper that asked the question, day trading for a living? And the researchers there looked at, oh, I guess it's, uh, they said, well, people traded for, I guess, about a year, 300 days, and some interesting results about how they did. Also, this week, and somebody had passed me, I guess, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say I guess, it seems with the Robinhood crowd and the Reddit crowd, there's a lot of people uh, trying to trade options these days. And some even, you know, with what was passed to me, some people understand it, some people don't. And we did an episode last week where we talked about, hey, is Tesla going to wind up in the S&P 500? And one of the criteria we mentioned, you can go back, I'll post a, a link to it, uh, but the criteria for getting in the S&P 500, and we speculated about whether they would get in. One of the criteria was they had to have four consecutive quarters of positive earnings, and they actually reported positive earnings. They surprised everybody. They reported on Wednesday. And what's interesting about you know, that earnings report is, and by the way, not, not only did they surprise, I think you know, a couple of months ago, the, the estimate was like minus $1.50 a share for this quarter's release. And they actually, let's see what they came out with. Um, yeah, they came out with $2.18 profit. And right before earnings, I think it had gotten to an estimate of like, you know, minus 23 cents. And then it sort of changed. When I say estimates, these are the analyst estimates. But they actually have four quarters in a row, so we'll see what the S&P 500 committee does. I think I mentioned they, they next meet in September. But one of the things somebody passed along to me was there were a lot of people trying to trade options around Tesla at the, you know, right around earnings. And, you know, we, we've done some episodes on this and... I'll link to, you know, how options are priced, implied volatility, and, and some of the Greeks and things like that. But it, it was sort of interesting. There were some people who apparently lost quite a bit of money because they believe that if Tesla reported positive earnings instead of negative, and then they would be maybe immediately put into the S&P 500, you'd have all this buying. Well, Tesla actually did report positive earnings but a couple things happened. Number one is when they reported earnings, uh, they closed, it looks like, oh, right around, you know, the day before, about 1568. That was on Tuesday, closed at 1592. And then after they released the positive earnings announcement, they actually closed down something like 80 points on Thursday. And then another, oh, I don't know, 100 close to 100 points on Friday. And so this was a good lesson for, you know, those new to, to trading, new to options. Number one is, you know, what's already embedded in the price. Sometimes a, a stock release is good news and stocks go down. Sometimes they release bad news and stocks go up. Was it all priced already into the, into the stock? And um, interestingly enough, you know, Intel released uh, an earnings report 
and their gross profit margins were, I think, the worst in something like 10 years, maybe over 10 years. And they went down 15%. So one of the things that people <laughs> didn't sort of realize is you know, when you buy options right before earnings, the implied volatility or the premiums that you pay are really juiced up. And what does that mean? It means, you know, the, the market makers, specialists, right, traders, uh, the options market, we'll call it as a whole, they know that earnings are a potential price driver. And so what you see is premiums become more expensive. And I think Tesla was well over 100% implied volatility. Um, remember, to give you a little context on that, when we give you an implied volatility, that's actually an annualized number. And then to figure out what it would be for you know a single day, if you're using trading days only, you've got to take the, the square root of 252, which is the number of trading days. Although, are we leap year this year? Maybe that was last year, in which case it would be 253. Um, but that's about 15.875. You round up to 16. And so, you know, at 100 volatility, uh, that implies, you know, a single day, one standard deviation move of plus or minus, you know, six and a quarter percent. I think Tesla right before earnings was, was quite above that, especially for the options that expired two days later. And so one of the things that people experienced was after the announcement, you know, the news is out volatility gets crushed a little bit, meaning all the expectation comes out, volatility drops. And so even if you were right on the direction, you still might have not made as much as you thought or might have still lost money because of how volatility works with options. And, you know, I've said it before, there's, I'm, I'm encouraged that a lot of people are getting into investing. It reminds me though of the dot-com era when you had a lot of people all of a sudden try to become day traders. And, you know, we're seeing it now at Robinhood. We're seeing it. Um, I don't want to pick on Robinhood. I mean, you can you can trade in and out of stuff anywhere. Uh, but it seems like um, what was passed to me, a lot of people are trading options and they have no idea what they're doing. And they were surprised that they lost money. And it's kind of interesting. A lot of people lost a lot of money. Um, and... Anyway, I don't want to bag on that crowd too much. I encourage people to start investing, start investing early. Uh, but a lot of times it just, if you don't know what you're doing, it's uh, it's not, not great there. So Tesla is a good example of stock getting the news that they wanted. You know, let's say if they were on the bull side or the call side, but volatility got crushed. Um, they got the news they wanted, but the stock still dropped. So anyway... This leads us to this week's main topic, and that's a research paper. And the title aptly is called Day Trading for a Living? And this is out of the, let me see what university this is. Uh, it looks like a university out of Brazil, uh, Department of Economics, University of San Paulo, Brazil, San Paulo School of Economics. And let's see. I think that's the main ones. I won't try and, uh, well, I'll, I'll try and give them their credit here. It's uh, Bruno Giovanetti, Rodrigo Deloso, and Fernando Chague, C-H-A-G-U-E. Uh, I'll put a link to this. Uh, this came out in June. And one of the things they, they wanted to do, 
um, whenever you write a research paper, you sort of have an abstract. You go through and you, you sort of explain what, what's going on. You go through the methodology. You show, you know, some tables, you show some data, and then you have some conclusions. And one of their, their things they mention in the abstract is that they show that it is virtually impossible, this is their words, for individuals to day trade for a living. And just to be clear what day trading means, essentially means someone who, you know, invests capital and they're using very short-term trades. Short-term meaning maybe they buy something in the morning and they sell it in the afternoon or they flip things throughout the day. So very, very short things. And the idea is you realize a profit or a loss, you know, as you as you close out those um, those trades. So... They say, um, virtually impossible for individuals to day trade for a living, contrary to what course providers claim. By course providers, I assume they're talking about, you know, when you watch CNBC and the people claim that they, uh, you know, made millions of dollars and uh, all that and you should buy their book or something. Uh, it says, we observe all individuals who begin to day trade between 2013 and 2015 in the Brazilian equity futures market. Um, and, it, and they mentioned it's the third in terms of volume in the world. That's their words. Uh, again, I'm reading from the paper. And what their findings were, they found that 97% of all investors who persisted for more than 300 days lost money. Only 1.1% earned more than the uh, Brazilian minimum wage and only a half percent earned more than the initial salary of a bank teller. And all with... Uh, with great risk. And so what they did was, uh, looks like they used the data set and it was from the Brazilian equivalent of the SEC. So their SEC, uh, Comissio de Valores, uh, I'm going to try and pronounce it. <laughs> I won't do a very good job of it. Uh, but it's, it's the equivalent of, of the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission. And they followed individuals who trade many uh, Ibovespa Ibovespa futures contracts. So many, so basically, it's the Brazilian kind of think about their stock exchange. Like here, uh, the E minis people might trade those. Those are the futures equivalent of the the S and P five hundred index. And uh, by minis, um, there's a full value contract, and I imagine this is uh, I think it's about one fifth whatever the full contract is. And so they went and uh, they said this is anonymously identified from 2012 to 2017. That's a different date but um, than I previously mentioned. And what they do is they observe the day trading profits for the mini futures contracts, uh, all individuals. And the first year of the data set, 2012, and they want to look at new retail traders. Okay, so they want to look at new retail traders. And what they showed was, um, and by the way, I think the, what is it? The uh, Brazilian minimum wage is $16 US a day. Um, and then $54 US a day is the salary of a, a bank teller. And so there were a couple things. Obviously, they found that most of these folks did not make money. And not only that, but the standard, the daily net profit standard deviation 
for those that did. So let me see, two, four, six, I think eight people made more than, you know, the daily uh, salary of bank teller. And their daily standard deviation of profits was anywhere from, looks like about 500 or 300, all the way up to like 3,300 bucks. So um, this is, um, you know, this is not surprising. In my experience, uh, you know, individuals who maybe are new to day trading, uh, they they may not have a plan. They may not have a good grasp on how much risk capital to put up. Um, and they're also, they may not have a methodology. And it also goes kind of the, uh, it's the same thing maybe that Las Vegas goes through, the whole idea of even if a player has a short-term winning streak, that the longer they keep them at the tables, the more probability or prob- probabilistic it is that, uh, you know, they'll wind up getting more of their capital, right? More of their money when they actually lose over the long term. So um, kind of interesting and it's not surprising. Um, you know, I think uh, obviously they had a lot of volatility um, and this is consistent. You know, when I used to coach individual traders and was involved in, you know, TD Ameritrade's national education program uh, that we founded and we would go around and um, we found too, and some of the data showed that a lot of traders would, you know, a good, good percentage of them might, um, I don't want to say blow up, but that's, you know, go through or, you know, wind up running through their, their money. And one of the things we would try and teach them is um, to develop a, an actual trading plan, whether that be, you know, if they were trading, um, that be, you know, how much money do you put up? How much, what percent of your capital do you allocate? How do you decide to get in? How do you decide to get out? How do you manage risk? <clears throat> and when it got to options, I mean, we, we taught different strategies, but a lot of what we taught was also about risk mitigation. And we always say with, you know, the way that we run hedged equity strategies, we're using options to hedge rather than speculate. You know, a lot of people speculate with options, but a lot of good things you can do with options as well. Um, but, um, so I think this was really interesting. It's not surprising. I'll link to the, the post, I'm sorry, the, uh, the paper, and it's probably worth, uh, you know, worth a look. Um, I will say though, there's a couple things that, um, I think they could, it could really augment their, their findings, uh, the, the authors from the universities. And one of the things that they didn't really get into they didn't explain, um, you know, the trading balances. So it, it might have been, okay, well, they showed, you know, the average profit, right? Um, but they didn't really show, so did somebody have a million dollars and they made average $200 US a day or did they have, you know, $3,000? You put this into perspective and I can't find the exact uh, mini uh Ibovospa contract requirement. In other words, how much would you actually have to put up to to trade one contract? On the CME, the the full contract, the, the you know the non mini. I think you have to have at least sixteen thousand for that. And by the way, I'm not. Don't go and trade those. Don't don't do that. 
But anyway, um, the balance, they didn't say what the average balance was. Um, they only said the trades and the average uh, daily net profit. And it, it might have been more constructive had they shown the percent profit, right? Because if somebody makes $200 a day, well, did they have $1,000? And that meant, you know, they essentially started making 20% and then, you know, their next trade, they have 1200 So um, that would have been more constructive. Um, the other thing that was would have been interesting is position sizing. And so what percentage of their overall capital are they allocating for these you know, mini futures trades, um, these day trades that they're doing? And so, you know, there this gets into sort of the risk of ruin calculation. And risk of ruin, uh, I'll try and see if I have a, a something I could post. Uh, you know, I'll try and find something that maybe links to some of the trading tables. Um, but... Ben McDowell, an author, he wrote a couple books. Um, he wrote a book on really trading as a business, and and uh, maybe I'll link to that because he's he takes some of the risk of ruin data and puts his own spin on it and talks about um, you know some of the tables. But the reason why I say this is, you know, what would have been interesting too is what was the average winning size of of a trade and what was the average losing size of the trade. What percentage of their overall capital do they put up? And the reason why this gets interesting is because um, the formula risk of ruin looks at the payoff ratio. In other words, if you win, you know, do you win the same amount that you lose? That would be a one to one. Is it a two to one? In other words, every time you win, do you make two thousand dollars? But when you lose, you only lose a thousand dollars. Is it three to one, four to one? Um, those things matter because that also gets into uh, the probability of risk of ruin. Risk of ruin means you're, you know, a total sort of wipeout, right? And give you some numbers on this. Let's say that you win only 30% of the time. Okay. So on a one-to-one ratio, you pretty much have 100% probability you're going to be, you know, wind up being in, in ruin, Right. Um, not too hard to figure that one out because if you're winning and losing the same amount, it's only a matter of time. Uh, at a 50%, um, you know, uh, one-to-one. Um, and by the way, let's just say you only risk 10% of your capital. So let's say you had a million dollars, you only put up $100,000. Um, you know, at a 50% win ratio, meaning 50% of your trades are wins, 50 of your loses, uh, pretty much at a one-to-one payoff ratio, 100% probability. Um, where this goes up is where, you know, let's say three to one, you make 3,000 for every thousand that you put up. And again, you're only risking 10% of your your available capital. Well, then, you know, at a 40% win rate, you have a two and a half percent probability of ruin. So that gets, you know, it gets different depending upon how much capital you to put up and also how much uh, your winning trades are versus your losing trades, okay? Um, so this, this in the paper, I think, is something that would have added um, or really augmented the, the data set they have because I think it's really interesting what they did and just sort of following um, all these you know, traders anonymously and, and looking at, for people and also the idea that the longer that they do it, the more apt they are, 
you know, to, to not make money in the long run. Um, it's so the, but the risk of ruin certainly would help because we don't know what their capital was. We also don't know average win versus average loss. Um, it's really interesting. You know, if you just do the quick math, for example, let's say you only won on 10% of your trades, but when you lost, you know, you lost 1%, but when you, you won, um, you won nine and a half percent. And just to give you some numbers here, let's say you started out with a hundred thousand dollars and you lost 1% nine times in a row. So you'd be down to 91,351, right? You lost 1%. And then on the, the 10th trade, you made nine and a half percent. Well, you'd actually be net up, you know, 30 bucks. You'd be back to a hundred thousand and 30 and then some, some change, some 10, I think 10 cents. And so there you actually could have a, a winning percentage of, you know, one or 10%, one out of 10, uh, but because your payoff was so much higher than your, your average loss, you actually could be net profitable. There's different things about the sequencing and the timing, uh, but that's, that's sort of a good example of how, you know, important that, that information would be. So um, very, very sort of interesting to look at the data. And the reason I bring this up, I was reading the Wall Street Journal today, and there was another story about, you know, brand new people deciding to day trade, uh, going to Robinhood, and maybe some of it's while we were on lockdown, uh, people are, you know, looking for things to do, they were bored, I don't know, uh, but you've got a lot of uh, people in the business sometimes call them tourists, meaning they're not regular you know, professionals or, or traders or investors, but they they sort of are tourists. They come into the market and uh, uh, in the options market, people have called those volatility tourists. Those that, you know, maybe did selling volatility strategies for a little bit at work for a while. So and it's worth noting too, um, it's not really a space that I'm involved with anymore, uh, but certainly I used to, you know, coach traders uh, more on managing portfolios, obviously managing risk, um, and helping people sort of you know manage the, the whole picture. Uh, but I will say that a good analogy is if you're online and you see people that are saying, "Hey, you know, I made uh, tons of money buying really far out of the money Tesla options." Um, I always used to tell people having a strategy as an investor or trader is about repeatable steps. Managing risk, obviously, uh, but you know, just because something worked doesn't mean it will keep working. And I think that's one of the things in the paper uh, by the individuals in Brazil really showed was the whole idea: the longer somebody, you know, after three hundred days, ninety-seven percent of all these investors actually lost money. They lost, uh, and I, I assume they uh, they pretty much got wiped out. So I'll link to that. I think it's a good paper. Um, if I ever meet the authors or maybe I'll shoot them an email, suggest they, I don't know if they have that data, but it would be interesting to look at uh, some of those ancillary effects, position sizing, the percent gain, the starting balance, um, and also look at, you know, whether they were, were they net long traders, meaning were they, you know, betting on upside market moves or were they net short traders? And then sort of what the the trading environment was over those those couple of years. So I'll link to that. I'll link to uh, some of the other things. I'll link to the episode we did last week on 
uh, Tesla, will they get into the S&P 500 and talking about that. And I'll also link in the show notes um, how our options priced and what is short volatility. In that episode, I went through some of the, the implied volatility stuff and how around earnings, uh, you know, you might see volatility get go up and then come back down. So, and again, please share this with somebody, uh, maybe somebody who hasn't had a experience listening to podcasts yet. And as always, uh, you know, you don't have to rate and review. Everyone asks you that, but if you want to, you can do that too. Um, and this one again was a, a listener question that we turned into an episode. And so reach out to me if you have an idea for a future episode and we will take that into account. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.